Travelcade Audio Productions presents Star Drifter, the science fiction audiobook series written and read by David Collins Rivera. Today's story, The Proposal. no sound at all for at least an hour, or maybe a day. The dead hood had gone over his head on the street corner, from behind, just swoop, and everything was darkness and silence. He'd been handled roughly then, hands tape-cuffed behind so he couldn't fight back or snatch away the smart fabric bag that clung to his head like new skin. The hood didn't restrict breathing at all, but it masked all light and sound, and even deadened his own shouts somehow, so that they seemed far away and muffled to his ears. To anyone else's, they might have been whimpers, or nothing at all. Once in their car, they tape-cuffed his feet, too. The ride had seemed endless, but might have only been minutes. When they stopped, he was carried out by a couple of big someones, they had to be big because Lujan was not a small fellow himself. He was brought up some steps, then through a hallway, maybe. They walked in a straight line for a while, and then down some other steps. Finally, he was placed in a chair and taped to that, too. This had been ages ago. It was possible a full day had gone by. Maybe it wasn't quite that long. He still didn't need to urinate. In fact, he had no idea about time. Disorientation was an effect of the hood, or so it seemed. What had happened to his companions? The burly minders his father had assigned to him before he'd ventured out into the city night had seemed quite excessive. He'd protested their necessity, yet they proved to be entirely insufficient. And Keffin Hyde, his advisor, was with him as well. For six months, that man had been his assigned shadow after poor Daryl Misesur had passed, offering perspective and solid insight on everything from legal matters to the right tie for the occasion. Solicitous, well-mannered and professional, though a bit of a flatterer, Keffin had become a fixture in the young man's life. Lujan had just arrived at Dame Giaboradio's incredible ballroom in the heart of town, when he spotted an amorphous cloud of Razibots hovering outside the entrance, like flies on a cow. His engagement to a leading young lady of Duenda, from one of the Empire's finest families, was no secret. Far from it. Their courtship, their romance, had played out in the media like a fairy tale. Dia, he'd sworn in low speak upon seeing all the video drones, 
then ordered the car to keep driving. There was an entrance to the side of the lavish building that was unmarked and often used when some degree of discretion was required. If Sindrinea had been with him then, they'd have had to endure it for publicity's sake. Family businesses on both sides were hungry for positive media exposure, always and always. His proposal to the young woman had turned into a bit of a cottage industry all itself. Shirts, posters, fashion dolls, clothing, lots of clothing. At a certain point, everything concerning noble families was about social order, business, public relations, and occasionally, even love. A marriage was what it was and would be for the two people directly involved, but it also meant a great deal to the family, and possibly even more to the public at large. It was about financial and political alignments, and the right narratives to spin around them. One had to keep class distinction in mind, a thing which ever threatened to erode. A magical romance between happy young people ending in an alliance between two of the most prominent families in the empire was rather like a military campaign. It was expensive, had the potential to change nearly everything in their culture, and meant much to many. The abductors must have been following him, watching from the moment he'd left the house. And they must have had people covering every entrance because he'd been bagged only seconds after stepping out of the car. No shots, no shouts, nothing. Just four meters to the door, no more than that. Yet he'd never seen them coming. Kidnapped, and on the very night they were to publicly announce the wedding date. News of the betrothal had been revealed a year before and had been cultured into a big event. This was the second step and another cause for celebration. His publicity machine had been ringing out every last drop of media excitement. There were many more announcements and events before the actual day. Parties, dinners, speeches, spontaneous club outings that were nonetheless carefully crafted and sponsored by fashion designers and celebrity handlers weeks in advance, then somehow leaked to the media at the last moment. There'd be visits from fellow nobles, state officials, and all the beautiful people of space. There'd be family conferences and dozens of fittings for clothing. Not just wedding attire, but the hottest brands and labels for the pre-wedding events, and especially the honeymoon. Oh, and the wedding itself would be an extravaganza, inspiring worldwide jubilation and delight. Balls, parties, concerts, parades. Or maybe none of those things. Not now. Thank God Sindrinea was still at the spaceport. Her secretary had called him earlier in the evening to relay that the incoming shuttle of an off-world cousin or uncle or whatever, who she was to escort to the announcement party, had had a hiccup in docking and would have to make its approach from a different vector. Sindrinea was waiting for him up in orbit. The Vernays family, like others of their rank, had certain obligations placed upon them. Someone bearing the name had to act as ambassador, coordinator, and concierge to arriving and departing friends and relations. Sindrinea had taken on that burden. He didn't like to use the word job as it was unseemly, even though she did pull a tidy wage. 
and occasionally her duties kept them apart. She'd probably put this activity aside once they were married, but really, it was okay with him if the choice was otherwise. Lujan was proud to be modern in his thinking, and the image of a working wife didn't repel him the way it seemed to his parents and older relations, assuming he survived. Of course, why wouldn't he? His family could pay any price the kidnappers asked. It would happen quietly and without the media ever catching wind. There were, indeed, perks to owning shares in all the networks on planet. Lujan had taken courses in surviving situations like this when a teenager. As third son of the Duintelias, it had been made clear to him at an early age that he represented a potential target to certain bold, ambitious parties. In fact, it had been drilled in that this sort of thing right here and now could always happen. That no amount of security, which also allowed him to live a life of freedom, could ever truly be enough. Standard protections were in place to discourage or thwart the miscreants, the fools, but if someone of skill became interested and was highly determined, the best protective services in the galaxy couldn't stop them. A kidnapping operation running with a decent budget, you had to spend money to make money after all, could allow a clever, ruthless few to organize the impossible. It didn't happen often, but it did happen. In any case, he'd been instructed to offer no resistance and to cooperate with his abductors in every regard. He was not to struggle nor initiate conversation, but he should answer any and all of their questions to the fullest of his abilities. Except that they hadn't asked anything, nor given him a chance to speak of his own accord. That meant they didn't need his input. In class, he'd learned this precise set of behaviors was a good sign. His kidnappers knew what they were doing. An organized group of criminals made fewer mistakes. They prevented their victims from making them. This was less stress for everyone involved, which was the best possible thing you could hope for. Stress caused panic, and panic was the real enemy. He could hear nothing under the soundproofing of the hood. No light of any kind reached his eyes. Silence and blackness. It had been going on for hours now, or so it seemed. While this sensory deprivation was unnerving, it wasn't yet torturous. Remarkably, the kidnappers hadn't beaten or maimed him at all. Gangs often sent proof to the victim's relations that their loved one was in mortal peril. Proof such as fingers or eyes. This was a tool to instill terror in the family he'd been taught, to gain control over them. They were to expect it. He was to expect it and endure it. Pain was temporary. Body parts could be replaced. But dead? <laughs> dead was forever. So Lujan sat, and he waited. It was warm here. This place had to be a steam room or something of the like. Occasionally, he felt moist droplets on his hands. He was still in his formal wear, an expensive evening suit sporting next year's cut. He'd been all set to make a splash tonight. Now he'd make one for another reason. 
Oh, Sindranea would be beside herself with worry. No. Focus, Lujan told himself. Pay attention. Any and all details were important for follow-up investigators. The hood cut him off from the world comprehensively, but this made any other facts all the more vital. For instance, despite how completely the hood blocked light and sound, it was clear he wasn't alone, or at least not all the time. His chair had been bumped once or twice by someone passing by. That could mean the place was so small that they had a hard time moving around him. Those were facts. Lujan tried to notice more, but being so completely alone made him easy prey to his own thoughts. Despite the training, fear bubbled up. This could be how it ended. He'd never see his family again. His beautiful bride-to-be. No. No! He would not panic. There was no need. These people were proving themselves to be professionals. If he stayed quiet and offered no trouble, they'd get paid and he'd be home in a day or so. And wouldn't it be a great story? Years from now, when he and Sindranea told the tale of their courtship, this event would be the highlight. How, during their engagement, he had survived abduction and terror. How his fiancée had been beside herself, enduring the terrible uncertainty. And what a surprise that would be to people. She always presented such a hard exterior, but was so soft inside. He didn't often get to see that side of her, but he felt it. He knew it. Her late father, that canny nobleman with more titles than a dozen counts or dukes, had been a somewhat severe fellow, if the stories could be believed. She seemed to take after him. Lujan remembered meeting the man once, at some function or other his parents had dragged him to when a child. Picturing it now, he recalled a graying beard, rumbling voice, and penetrating gaze that had been uncomfortable to endure for the half-second it had fallen on him. But that old man was gone now, in the Barlow Troubles. Sindranea herself had barely escaped. She didn't talk about it, and Lujan didn't inquire. Her demeanor never afforded it. So strange. Here he was now, enduring something similar to what she must have gone through, and he was already imagining the grand story it would make. People reacted to danger differently, it seemed. More sitting. More blackness. More silence. Only his thoughts. Fear rose and fell, as did pride in himself for having an adventure of his own at last. The emotions came in waves, sometimes separately, often together. Yet it was still just him. There was nothing from the outside world. Until there was. A hand snatched at the hood and pulled it off roughly, or tried to at first. A fistful of hair got caught up, and the effort was awkward. The sudden sensation was unexpected and startling, and, coupled with sight and sound after who knew how many hours, was almost overwhelming. Ah! Lujan exclaimed in confusion and fear and relief. His breathing was ragged, and he looked about stupidly. 
The relative brightness of this dim place, after being in a black one for so long, was quite disorienting. A woman lowered above his chair. There was another seat nearby, occupied by a figure strapped down just as he was. Others leaned against plain concrete walls all around the room. These people were dressed in various outfits, none of them stylishly, all of it dark and unexceptional. Most watched him impassively, a few with amusement. He didn't recognize a single face. His training came back, and he took a long, calming breath. Offer nothing unless asked. Answer everything once asked. That was the mantra. Pay attention. Details mattered. Yes, details, like the room. Poorly lighted by several exposed fixtures, it was not tiny, after all, nor a steam room. An abandoned storage space, perhaps, or something of the like. There were several metal doors in the walls, all tightly shut. The place was completely empty, except for himself, the other prisoner, their captors, and a few extra chairs here and there, probably brought in just for this occasion. Ten people... Eight on their feet, two bound and seated, including himself. One of the people stood a few meters directly in front of him, a short man in his middle years, heavy in an unhealthy way, with closely cropped black hair and a thin beard to match, just showing a touch of silver at the chin. He wore a long jacket, like a trench coat, except it was dark and shiny, perhaps of ballistic material. Those were popular in certain circles he knew. Well, he'd heard. The fellow just stared. How... how can I help you? Lu Jean breathed, trying to channel his terror into something constructive. Be solicitous, was the axiom he remembered from the class. Make them like you. Wait. The axiom was the opposite of the mantra. How did he never notice that before? Which was true? Was any of it? Would anything he learned back then be of value? The man gestured to the tall, hard-faced woman who'd removed the hood, and she brought him one of the other chairs. This fat fellow was clearly in charge. The other prisoner was off to Lujan's side and a bit to the rear. He had to actually turn to see him, which was straining and awkward. Like the hood they'd just pulled from his own head, this man wore a black, face-hugging bag. His features were hidden, and no sound escaped his mouth. But his physical frame and certainly his manhandled suit were familiar. It was Kevin Hyde. So they'd grabbed his personal advisor at the same time. To what end? He was an employee, very well paid perhaps, and not without influence of his own, but Keffen was no nobleman. With shock, Lujan noticed blood on his advisor's lapel and collar, and, oh God, the water drops that had fallen on his own hands were red. They'd beaten his man right there sitting next to him, and he'd never heard a thing. Keffen was still breathing, that much he could discern, and the mask was working periodically, 
as if the older fellow were talking or crying out, unaware that no one, not even his captors, could hear him. The chubby man had been watching stone-like, unmoving, but now opened his coat and settled in the provided chair with a tired sigh. Beneath his ballistic garment, if that's what it was, Lujan spied a dark blue coverall, like a manual laborer might wear. A disguise, obviously. Truly, he didn't look anything like one might expect of a dangerous gang leader. This man appeared thoughtful and observant. Lujan didn't know how to even approach discourse. My parents will adhere to any requests you might care to make, he assured, lacking anything better. No response. I'll gladly answer any of your questions, the young man offered. My advisor will too. I can vouch for him. He's a fine gentleman. This, at least, elicited disgusted chuckles from around the room. The woman who had dragged over the chair looked to Keffin's hooded form, then spat on the floor. The seated man crooked a finger at her. She leaned in and whispered in his ear. He nodded, but never changed expression and never stopped staring at Lujan. Sir, the Duantelia's third son tried again. I assure you that neither I nor my employee will offer you anything but complete cooperation. We may consider this a business transaction, may we not? Certainly, the sooner our negotiations commence, the sooner we may all find ourselves at a happy conclusion. No movement besides breathing. No changes in expression or focus. The complete lack of interaction was disconcerting. Undoubtedly, that was its purpose, so Lujan decided to wait them out. That lasted all of a minute. Keffin began struggling in his seat. The hood absorbed all sound from his head, but he was pointedly crying out because some of it carried through his chest cavity and torso and came across as muffled sobs. Lujan thought he heard the man expel a faint, thick, Please! but couldn't be sure. Well, this was embarrassing. Hitherto, Keffen Hyde had always presented himself with perfect composure and an admirable awareness of his rank and position, and he'd come with such a glowing recommendation from a nobleman of stature. Honestly, panicking after some rough handling was simply distasteful. A poor showing from the Duantelia family, and this counted since he was employed by them. Lujan would have to speak to his father about making a change. There was no way around it. The woman was still standing by the fat man. She heard something over her earpiece and acknowledged it with a mutter to her jacket's collar mic. She leaned in again to relay the information, and he nodded. Two minutes of more staring followed, with nothing but impassive menace and silence. Well, except for Keffin, who cried out another unintelligible plea from the vicinity of his heart. Truly, the man was disappointing. A metal door in the back of the room behind the kidnappers opened then, throwing a trapezoid of yellow light across the dirty floor. He hadn't noticed that door prior, hidden as it was in the shadows. 
Three or four dark figures entered, shutting it behind them, and the light vanished. They just stood against the far wall, invisible in the gloom. The chubby man turned to look and received a nod or wave or some other acknowledgement Lujan couldn't see. He then faced front and gave a gesture to the standing woman. Your Grace, she pronounced evenly, stepping near and speaking in perfect Seishan. We would like to apologize for the sordid quality of this meeting. Discretion was required. She towered over him, her gaze rock-steady, even condescending, her tone devoid of all deference. She was strong-looking, solid and muscular, possessing a distinctly military bearing. She had blonde hair pulled back into a tight braid. Her face was graceful but sharply angular, as if chiseled from marble but never smoothed. Her forehead was wide and displayed no telltale agitation or fear over the possible consequences of this outrage against one who was her better. Have you contacted my family, our agents? he asked. Or perhaps you'd prefer that I do so. No contact has been made, Your Grace, nor is it wanted. No one knows you are here. Do you mean to kill me? This got more laughs from the others. Some of the others. Not from the woman, though she smirked. And not from the seated man, who didn't do even that much. From an inside jacket pocket, the woman produced a small data pad. She tapped at it, then moved in front of him. Please look straight ahead, Your Grace. She held the device up to his left eye for a moment and received a small beep. And a breath into the sensor, she said, in that tone which lacked any acknowledgement of his social class. He complied without umbrage, huffing quietly upon the DNA detector of the data pad. The woman checked it, then slipped it back into her jacket. From a side pocket, she then produced a piece of folded paper and a writing stylus. One last proof, if you would. A signature. I'll release your hand if you're prepared to comply. My signature? he asked in confusion. That's not a legal identifier. It is for certain matters, she contradicted. He looked from her to the seated man. I'm sorry, but... How will it prove my identity to my parents? Signatures are easily forged. This detail has nothing to do with them, Your Grace, the woman injected. It's legally required on a dissolution of intent to marry. That's a paper document only. Archaic, yes, but many things are bound by tradition. And men are the only ones who can call off a wedding. She paused here as if to gather a poise which threatened to slip. In the Empire, as I'm sure your grace is aware, it falls upon the groom-to-be to sever such an arrangement. Under the law, among couples of a certain rank, there is no other way to do this without the feminine party risking financial and social repercussions. Lujan listened in complete confusion. He looked to the fat man in the chair again, who wasn't reacting. But, I thought, isn't this about ransom? Oh no, your grace, the blonde woman continued. 
We are not kidnappers. Of that sort, anyway. Sign the separation document and you'll be free to go. You may then call the authorities and make a complaint about this experience. It won't matter to us. You work for my brother, Demetrio, don't you? Lujan expostulated then, seizing upon the thought the instant it came to him. He wants me to marry Gilbala, the Emperor's grandniece. You can repeat to him what I have already conveyed. I choose whom I choose. Sindrinea Vernays is that person. Tell him we are in love, a state of being he wouldn't understand. I will not sign this thing. Now release me and provide medical assistance to my advisor. The heavy-seated man never wavered in his attention, but seemed to be hearing something else. With a start, Lujan realized the fellow was listening to an auto-translation of his words. His captor couldn't understand what they were saying. Your brother has nothing to do with this, Your Grace, the woman told him. Though perhaps you should heed his advice in this matter. I... I confess to some confusion. What do you want? Your signature. Nothing more. But why? Why don't you want us to marry? Who are you? The blonde woman's bland expression began to wear thin, and a touch, just a kiss, of fury rolled over that wide brow. She started to respond, but the fat man spoke first, and for the first time. As expected, his seishan was horrible. You, we no want you, no good. What do you mean? Lujan demanded taking the foreigner's broken words as an insult. Who says I'm unfit? I'll thrash that man or see him on the field of honor. No, not you. You people. Close people. Ah. He threw up a hand in apology and disgust, then held his left wrist to his mouth. He spoke quietly for a moment into a device strapped under his jacket sleeve then held the arm steady while the small computer translated aloud with artificial ponderousness. From everything we've been able to learn, you're harmless enough. Your family, on the other hand, is concerning. Concerning? My family? Who are you to talk about the Duantelius? How do you dare? Where are you from? Are you Alliance? What's your interest here and why... The man had been muttering into his wrist while Lujan had been blustering. The device interrupted him. I am hardly your biggest concern right now. The Duantelias have designs on Vernet's assets and holdings, and intend to use this marriage as an inroad to acquire them. That cannot be allowed to happen. This is slanderous, sir, a lie, or at best a delusion. Mine is one of the oldest and most respected families in all the Empire. Perhaps I cannot adequately defend against your assertion with fact and detail, as I don't have much knowledge of family business affairs, yet I declare that assertion to be false, without any reservation. The man listened to his wrist, nodded, then muttered at it again. I believe you believe that, the device translated. Yet shares in various companies and business endeavors owned by the Vernay's family have been insisted upon as part of the dowry, 
have they not? I leave such concerns to my advisor and parents. Understand, sir, I don't need Vernet's money. My family gets by rather well, if I may say. And what would I do with these shares in any case? Trade them? Attend board meetings? I don't do such things. I'm a painter, an artist. You're a dilettante, came the impassive reply. But let's not quarrel. Your avocation is reassuring. It means your very life tonight. The fat man made a quick hand motion toward Keffin, still seated and hooded. The blonde woman crossed to him and roughly pulled off the head covering, as if she were angry. Her face was still composed, but it seemed to be a struggle. Anything you want, Keffin Hyde sobbed, his plea becoming suddenly audible. Lujan had to crane his neck to see the man's condition, which, as it turned out, was shocking. Black, thinning hair was wet with sweat and blood, sticking up wildly in spikes and tufts. Dark purple, almost black bruises surrounded the advisor's eyes, which were swollen and almost entirely closed. His nose was equally distended and bent to one side. Cheeks were cut and raw. His whole face was bloated and dark, like an overripe grape that was seeping and shiny, ready to split open. God in heaven, Lujan muttered at the sight of him. And just like that, this was happening. It was not a game or some courtship tale. It was real and terrible. Oh, thank you, thank you, the advisor offered gratefully as if they'd given him a wondrous boon, slurring through split and swollen lips. As I said, I'm an advisor to the Dumatelli family. I, myself, have personal ransom insurance, so a payout is readily available. Kevin, the young man cautioned, say nothing more. I don't believe this is entirely what it seems. As if to punctuate the observation... The blonde woman hauled back and punched the advisor full in the face with a sharp impact that sent him and his chair backward to the floor. He cried out with a gasp, then lay there facing the ceiling, still taped to his chair, sobbing hoarsely, spraying blood, tears, and snot. Please, Lujan implored, you don't have to do this. My family will give you anything you want. Then sign the paper. The woman hissed in his ear. I'll, I'll sign away my shares. Is that the issue? Nothing. No dowry required. That's not good enough, the man across from him explained through his wrist. Naturally, you're proud of your family. You love them. But not everyone does, and those people have very good reasons for feeling that way. You will release Sindranea Aniana Bloxiel Mamet Vernays from her marriage agreement. There will be no reparations sought against her family for the failure of the engagement, and you will not, under any circumstances, make contact with her again, ever. I would ask if you understand, but I know you don't. It's immaterial. How is that? Lujan demanded feeling his pent-up outrage rising at last. I love her. I love Sindranea. Do you hear me, sir? And she loves me. 
I know of no other woman I'd rather spend my life with. I am Lucien Duantelia. I've had women throwing themselves at me since the day I was born. Yes, opportunists attempting unions with my family when I was even an infant. Great, important matches, marriages that would have brought with them tremendous fortune and honor, yet there's only one woman for me. I will never renounce her. I would sooner renounce my blood relations, my title, my fortune. Never, sir, I will never be faithless. Do your worst. Torture me. Kill me if that is your wish, for I will die with Sindrinea in my heart. Don't be a romantic fool, boy, Kefin sputtered from the floor, spittle flying. A bride is nothing but a means to an end. There are endless women for a man like you. Sign the paper and let us be free. The fat man pointed to the head covering that the tall, blonde woman had dropped upon the floor. She snatched it up and waved for a few of the others nearby to sit the advisor upright in his chair once again. They did so, and she stuffed it over his head, cutting off pleas and protests. Lujan, as if in solidarity with that man, sat as high as he could under the circumstances, proud and upright in his own stiff-backed chair, ready for their arguments and loss of patience, ready for pain and death. His love, his beautiful Sindrinea, small, smart, passionate, was in his mind's eye. He saw her then as he first had, at Prince Redis's winter ball three years before. A lacy white gown, sparkling gems from head to toe, entirely present, a center of all eyes, participating, while yet seeming to hold everyone and everything in contempt. The man across from him watched without so much as blinking. After a full minute of horrible silence, he muttered into his wrist device. Why do you think we brought along your advisor tonight? Do you know who he really is? Of course I do. He's... he's a monster! The hard-faced woman at his side spat, the sheen of her self-control gone at last. The very architect of the Barlow Troubles! What? What are you saying? He worked for that filth Descu in his intelligence branch. This man drafted the entire campaign. What campaign? I, I don't understand. Please. Barlow? That was a peasant uprising. They say the terraforming was flawed. The air on that world was bad. It poisoned people, and they became animals. They went insane. Sindrinea's own father was their victim. She nearly died. He trailed off, seeing the man across from him as if for the first time. Hanunclo Estarin, he whispered, and the other nodded. She, Sindrinea, has spoken of you. Everyone speaks of you with the greatest respect and gratitude, sir... Or... Lujan was at a loss. A person of his own station did not speak to the lowly Familian Cano of another family as if they were equals. And yet, 
in this circumstance? The young man chose to embrace it. My dear sir, he began formally, but the other raised his offhand and spoke into the other one. When your betrothal was announced, your previous advisor was killed in a vehicular crash, which, I assure you, was no accident. Kevin Hyde was then recommended to your parents by Baron Deskew as a replacement. The Baron may be looking to exact some form of revenge against the Vernay's family for how things turned out in the Choral Prime star system. Or perhaps not. It doesn't matter. Your family's association with that man, however secret, makes you an unacceptable match for a woman who has suffered at his hands. I'm not my parents! Prove it. Sign the document. If you truly love her, you'll set her free without scandal. How can I? he begged. How can you ask me to tear out my own heart? How can you do this to her? He isn't came a familiar voice, speaking in a familiar, low-speak dialect. It floated from the shadows on the far side of the room. A short patch of darkness disengaged itself. The fat man stood and said cautioningly, Sindra? But the same voice, in accented English, cut him off. No, Spacer, I must do this thing. Sindranea stepped into the light and approached. Her brown hair was tucked snugly under a dark beret, and she had on a long jacket, much like the fat man's, with gloves to match. She wore no makeup, something he'd never seen before in all their courtship. She looked stark and real in a jolting sort of way. She stopped at his side. I asked my uncle to come, his fiancée told him in low speak. I asked for his help. But why, he begged, drowning in this place, in the utter confusion, the total astonishment. Because I trust him. So does my family. We are to be family. I thought so. But your parents and your brothers are steeped in secrets, Lujan. They're filthy with them. This man, she spoke, rolling a finger in Kevin Hyde's direction. He is a danger. An enemy agent of the Vernays family. Do you understand that? He is my enemy. And he works for you. Then he's fired. Right now. This moment. And to blazes with my family, I renounce them. I renounce their secrets. Sindranea, I will throw it all aside. Just, it's not enough. She pronounced passionately. You're branded by their schemes. We would be marginalized, pushed aside by my own family. My elder cousin, Elmond, is Vernet's patriarch, as you know. He would have to isolate us, if only for safety's sake. Lujan, listen to me and understand my words. I will not be cast out of my family for any man. I do so love you. But now, goodbye. She leaned down and kissed him. It was warm and inviting. And then it was over. Zintronea, he breathed as she walked away. He said it again as the other shadows back there gathered her up 
and left as they had come. He shouted it as the metal door clanged shut. Lu Zhan continued watching the darkness, waiting for a reprieve that couldn't come. He was crying. Well, and what of it? The blonde woman held up the paper again, and the stylus. Her expression was no different than ever. Her nails were unpainted, and the one on her left index finger appeared as all the others, plain, long, but not overly so. It sliced through the tape that bound his right hand like a razor, which it likely was. He looked to the heavy man across from him, who was still on his feet from when Sindranea had come forward. That one arched an eyebrow, as if to ask Lujan what he would do with the truth. Hananklo Estarin, the Alliance traveler who had appeared out of nowhere to deliver the first daughter of family Vernays from Barlow's fires and butchery. A dangerous fighting man and near legend among the noble families. A fellow so mysterious and gossiped over that many in society doubted his very existence. <laughs> the sight of this short, portly slob wouldn't be likely to convince them otherwise. No. No. They didn't get to do this. Not to him. Not to a Duintelia. No one snatched a someone of his class off the street just to terrorize and intimidate. No pathetic alliance pig could force a noble son of the Empire to... But the spaceman had been watching him closely and could see this angry resolve forming. He nodded his head at the hooded man who was sobbing, begging, praying in total silence. The blonde woman turned to Keffin, drew a pistol from under her jacket, put it against the bag and fired. A smooth action, free of delay, regret, or hesitation. The weapon was of a silenced design. It made a gaseous sound, like someone passing wind, and the black hood ballooned as if a melon had burst within. Keffin Hyde fell again, and for the last time, his chair clattering over upon filthy concrete. Wet redness began widening upon the floor almost immediately. The woman reholstered her pistol and returned to Lujan's side. He couldn't look away. He watched the dark pool growing, spreading, moving, as if there was yet life somewhere in that wreck. Oh, God. Nothing had worked. Lujan hadn't been able to stop any of it. His training, his marriage, his finest intentions, they meant nothing at all. Your grace, the blonde woman asked evenly, starkly. She spoke without emotion, or perhaps with that sort of self-control that keeps emotion in hand, despite a kind of hatred he still couldn't picture, even having seen it. The paper and stylus. He didn't read the document. It was in Latin, of which he'd always been a poor student. Still... He didn't run his eyes along the text, couldn't bear to see the words that would break his heart. 
He simply took up the pen with a horror-palsied hand and scribbled where the woman pointed. She thanked him coldly, folded the paper, took back the stylus, and tucked them both away next to her hidden pistol. With razored hands, she sliced away the remaining tape holding him to the chair. The fat man in front of him gestured to a door at the side, which one of the others opened. There were stairs beyond. Lujan glanced down at his advisor while stepping by. The pool was bigger than ever. Then he was through the door, up the stairs, past another thug at the outer exit, and, yes, outside, he was alive. The young man ran, stumbled, tripped just meters from the door, springing up again, city grime on next year's cut. He slowed to a walk, sobbing, stepping from the alley out onto the street. Two blocks to his right, the sparkling, stuttering signs and hovering Razibots before Dame Giabaradio's ballroom illumined the dark night like a dream. Reduced to a shuffle, now crying silently, relief and despair whipped Lujan down the sidewalk like an overseer. They goaded him, animating leaden legs, pushing him past happy lovers and beautiful strangers, forcing him into the light. You have been listening to The Proposal, written and read by David Collins Rivera. You can contact me at lostinbronx at gmail.com. That's L-O-S-T-N-B-R-O-N-X at gmail. You can also check out my site at cavalcadeaudio.com and sign up for my newsletter. The Star Drifter theme is a piece called i by Trunks and can be found on soundcloud.com. The Proposal theme is a piece called Chains by Far Out featuring Alina Renee, and is available on YouTube.com through No Copyright Sounds, all one word, or at ncs.io slash chainsid. The proposal is a work of fiction and is not based upon nor meant to portray any person, living or dead, nor any particular place or situation. This story is copyright 2018 by the author and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 international license. Feel free to use it for any purpose, even commercial, and I encourage you to do so. Thank you for listening. Take care.